This is the Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Our community co-hosts have the summer off, but I'm still here passing the microphone around, and tonight I'm going to talk with a writer who's presenting at Sunstone. It's an independent periodical and symposium forum dedicated to exploring Mormon experience, scholarship, issues, and art. It starts Wednesday, a mixture of in-real-life and virtual presentations. On Thursday morning, my next guest will present some of the essays and poems in the new anthology from Tory House Press, Blossom as the Cliff Rose, Mormon Legacies and the Beckoning Wild. Here's my conversation with writer Karen Anderson. Well, I just love what's going on here, and um, I was flipping through, kind of cherry-picking. I like the way it's organized. I can kind of dive in as inspiration captures me, and I'm a big fan of Michael McLean. So I kind of wanted to start there because you can't talk about Mormons in the land without talking about Mormon theology and scripture, and Michael does that really nicely in in his chapter, which is called They Pollute Their Inheritances, Nuclear Testing and the Advent of Mormon Activism in the Great Basin. So I was kind of curious if there are any marching orders to putting this book together when you were talking with writers. Um, in terms of all of that, how did you go about getting these submissions and pulling this theme together, Karen? You know, I, I really want to give credit to um, Kirsten Johanna Allen, who is the editor-in-chief at Tory House Press. I had um, published a book, a novel, a few uh, about a, I'd say, what, a year before this one came out, um, about, I don't know, working to sort of humanize my over-sanctified Mormon heritage in Utah and Idaho, uh, really try and bring some of those characters to some kind of human relatability. Um, it was a, it was a, it was an emotional project for me for a lot of reasons. And I was kind of ready to put the whole Mormon subject matter to rest for a bit. And then Kirsten caught Danielle and me together down at SUU at a reading and sat us down and proposed this particular collection. She was, um, I, I, I'd worked with her well enough by then to know that she would be very, very open and that, that the entire uh, that Tory house would be very warm toward just about anything we brought to them, but she wanted something that tapped into uh, the Mormon heritage and legacies of the West as they related to landscape. Um, Danielle and I have been good friends for many years and uh, work well together, but we come from uh, different places religiously, even though probably very similar places. It let us understand that there would be a very wide range of authors who could contribute if we opened the book to um, personal representation, voices that did not represent Mormon doctrine or the Mormon institution, but people who came out of a Western cultural heritage uh, touched in some way or another in some meaningful way by uh, Mormon background, Mormon heritage, Mormon legacies. And uh, our uniting point was how did this heritage in some way or another guide you to a particular kind of appreciation of the landscape, um, a sense of environmental stewardship. Um, a lot of us do have Mormon heritage, a lot of people in our world, but uh, tend to feel that they need to represent themselves in uh, some kind of a doctrinal position or non-doctrinal position. And it was really important for us in our call to say, this is about your experience 
however your Mormon experience relates yeah. and connects you to the landscape. And because of that, we wanted non-representative voices um, and therefore really emphasize that we wanted a range of believers and non-believers, uh, a range of people who came from very different relationships to their Mormon heritage. And the answers were just spectacular, just warm and generous and human. Well, let's talk about Blossom as the Cliff Rose because, you know, the the old chestnut is Brigham Young, you know, we're going to here in the Salt Lake Valley make the desert blossom like a rose. So tell us about the Cliff Rose. What's the significance in that title? Um, well, we wrote about it in the introduction and um, really thought hard about our title. But the most important thing for us was to emphasize a native, native Florida, Flora, native plant, um, something as beautiful and representative of, as, of, of this region, of the Great Basin as it is and as it was rather than imported and brought in. And, and for me, at least, it represented very powerfully, uh, the word beckoning was important in the title, sort of a come see, come see. Come, come see what's already here. Come see what this place actually is. Uh, sort of something that tugs at the heart of um, a colonized and colonizing history that um, really reiterates that this landscape was here to be uh, experienced as it is yeah. and as it might be rather than what we're trying to turn it into to force an English tea rose to bloom when you've got this tenacious cliff rose that is clinging to life and still thriving tenacious, in the native landscape. Remarkably delicate, just so, so <laughs> creamy and yeah. beautiful and alluring in its, in its own home. And Michael McLean, I, I love the, he goes to Mormon scripture and talks about his experiences um, uh, especially as it relates to downwinders and what he grew up with. But there's this scripture that he points out, nevertheless, if they pollute their inheritances, they shall be thrown down for I will not spare them if they pollute their inheritances. And we have such a fraught history, I would say, since the days of 47 and more Mormon pioneers coming and the industrial revolution, nuclear testing on and on and on to the, um, the inland port that we're building in the Salt Lake Valley. And it seems like this book gets to to all of it. Is there something that you'd in particular like to share or read from one of the contributing writers? Is there a poem perhaps? or One that I really, really did love, and it, it frightens me a little bit to read someone else's words, uh, especially when they're so beautiful. But um, Stacey Denisosi Mitchell will be reading with us on the 29th at Mountain West and her Diné background and her descriptions of much of the same phenomenon that Michael McLean is discussing really comes so personally and richly. So I, I'd, I'd love to read just a few lines of her poem called Granddaddy, The Glowing Man. She writes about her grandfather peeling an apricot. I remember my granddaddy's hand his veins glowing a greenish yellow, the color of uranium under his brown skin. My granddaddy, the glowing man. Granddaddy was a miner. He brought home his work. Unlike any man, he left his clothes at the door. Grandma damned his socks for never going after him. She washed his clothes in the same river they drank from. 
The first time I heard uranium contamination was after my grandmother urinated in a cup at Indian Health Services Hospital. I sat in a blue fiberglass chair next to my granddaddy who came in, trouble, in for trouble breathing long after in their coffin beds, they lie beside each other, glowing hot coals. That's beautiful and just part of what folks can experience if they attend the reading at Mountain West on the 29th. Check tonight's show notes, folks. We'll put links to that event as well as the virtual panel that's happening earlier on Thursday as part of the Sunstone Symposium. Talking with co-editor Karen Anderson uh, about the book Blossom is the Cliff Rose, Mormon Legacies and the Beckoning Wild. So it sounds like your own history with the land as well as the religion of your birth is is very fraught. And you and your co-editor, Danielle beezer Debraski, you bookend um, this Blossom is the Cliff Rose. And there's just a sentence I wanted to share with people from what you wrote that just grabbed me. Now I feel like Temple Grandin, an anthropologist on Mars, but when did my familiar Earth transform into Mars? Sounds like you have a very complicated relationship with our land and our predominant culture. Probably one of the most profound influences, qualifications, I feel for myself as a contributor and as an editor and as a curator of this book is 30 years of teaching writing at Utah Valley University. Um, I was trying to count up the other day, a rough number of students I've seen come through my classes at UVU and the number is somewhere near five or 6,000. Um, I'm feeling pretty emotional about it right now because I've just finished that career. And as I sort of transferred a lot of my work files and a lot of my archives, um, I was delighted to throw so much of it away or delete it off of my computer, but I couldn't make myself, I couldn't make myself delete my students' writing. Um, it's there in a quiet, careful file with a lot of my response and a lot of back and forth, uh, a lot of revision work. The stories that my students have told, have, have found the courage to write and to put to the page um, have, absolutely confirmed to me that there is no stereotype and there's finally no there's no way of looking at a person that we think we know or i think we understand and guessing at their story or their stance or their uh, relationship to the world around them and what they think about it and there's no real guessing where they're going to go with it in the future um, because of that i think that i've personally made sort of a crusade to make sure that my home people are represented as complex people with complex histories, um, very rich meanings, no matter how they maybe answer to certain cultural stereotypes or certain cultural patterns. I've felt sensitive to that, of course, my entire life because I do come from a five generation Utah, Idaho settler heritage. Um, I was impressed with a professor a long, long time ago of mine, Eugene England, who said that uh, Mormon culture is really quite conducive to the personal essay because we're a testimonial culture and we're a storytelling culture, we're personal storytelling. Um, my issue with it really is that um, Mormon, uh, having a Mormon heritage is a narrative and a sort of a personal narrative kind of 
culture and it encourages that as long as those stories are affirmative and as long as those stories are somehow reconcilable with the larger group of belief. Um, I found myself pulling away from that insistence a very, very long time ago under difficult circumstances. Uh, I've struggled thinking about how to raise my children in some kind of meaningful relationship to their very forceful heritage without having to answer to it or capitulate to it or um, somehow diminish their own stories. And, yeah. You know, between all of that, I, I've, I've just lived a life with a great deal of language, a great deal of storytelling, an awful lot of personal narrative, and it takes just a just a minute or two to crack a story open and let it become itself. And I, I think Blossom is the Cliff Rose is one of the really, really beautiful gifts that's come out of that 30 year legacy of teaching. In fact, 11 of our contributors are um, UVU graduates over the oh, last few years. I was talking to someone recently about our predominant religion in this area and how it's felt to me over my lifetime, either all in or all out. And I really feel with books like Blossom as the Cliff Rose, you're creating that that gray space, that non-stereotype conversation within the pages. You know, and that, that's really true. Um, and, and with all respect, I might take issue with gray. Uh, there's so much color in it that it's almost like we, it's almost like the prism cracks open, you know, and all that color just sort of leaps out. It just isn't a black and white thing anymore. And it's not even shades of gray. It's a, it, and, and for me personally, to be able to tap into that after feeling so much pressure as a, you know, as a, as a person who valued my family, valued my heritage, saw no need to, to defy my heritage just out of spite, just simply looking for a richer, bigger range and bigger palette. Um, it's, there's so much of it here. There's so much, there's, there's just so much richness. And to insist, it goes back to your original question, that all of our contributors, believers or non-believers, um, bring something vulnerable to the table, bring something very personal to the table, bring something to this collection where um, we stand shoulder to shoulder and speak forward rather than turn and try and argue something out with each other. Really, really, really meant a lot to me personally. Karen, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll put in the show notes a link to the book, but also the events you have going on for it. Congratulations. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. And I'm so, I'm, I, I just would like to maybe finish with just my gratitude for the writers who gave so much to this collection and they deserve to be read, deserve to be heard. Writer Karen Anderson. Check tonight's show post for links to this week's readings for Blossom as the Cliff Rose. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL. Let's get you some more music. This is Valerie June, Smile.